0: Hello. Welcome to the myths and history of ancient Greece. Chapter 18 The Face That Launched a Thousand Ships. We have reached a wonderful time in our telling of the Greek myths. We are about to tell the last and most exciting tale of them all. The story of the Trojan War is one of the most famous and most important stories ever told, and we will not fit it into one chapter. We will not fit it into two chapters. We will not even fit it into three, four, or five chapters. No. The story of the Trojan War is going to fill the last nine chapters of our journey through Greek myth. These nine chapters will be filled with heroism and treachery, with heroes and villains and, of course, with despair and hope. So, let's begin. The story of the Trojan War begins a long time before the war actually starts. As we heard in the last chapter, Heracles had thrown out the old king of Troy and replaced him with his son, A man now known as Priam. Priam became the greatest king the city had ever known and rebuilt Troy so that it was once again one of the most powerful kingdoms in the known world. Zeus, though, decided the age of heroes had to end, and he used Troy to bring about his aim. Once Heracles had been brought up to Olympus, Zeus set about his plan. None of this was known to King Priam. He continued to rule and continued to build. Before long, he realised he'd need to have sons to hand his kingdom over to when he died. Fortunately for the king, he and his wife, Hecuba, had no trouble having sons, and they had plenty. The eldest son grew up to be the finest and most noble warrior in Troy. He was strong and handsome, and very loyal. He would always fight bravely to protect Troy, and the city's enemies were afraid of him. His name was Hector. Many more sons were born before Hecuba was pregnant with yet another boy. Unfortunately for everyone, Hecuba had a dream before the boy was born. She dreamt she was actually giving birth to a flaming torch, which set light to the whole city and burned it to the ground. Priam and Hecuba were concerned about the dream, and so they went to see an oracle. Now, does the oracle normally give good news? Were Priam and Hector dancing for joy when they heard the advice? Well, no. Obviously not. The oracle told them the child, if he were allowed to live, would bring total destruction to Troy. Priam and Hecuba were, of course, very upset. But they had a duty to protect their city, and ignoring oracles is usually a bad idea. They knew they could not allow the baby to live, so when it was born, the sad king handed it to a shepherd and told him to abandon it on Mount Ida. This the shepherd did. The boy was saved, though. Maybe Zeus, who wanted to end the age of heroes, realised he needed to keep the boy alive. Maybe the boy was just lucky. Either way, he was found by a bear who looked after him and fed him. Five days later, the shepherd, who was called Adelaus, found the baby alive and well. He thought this must be a sign from the gods that the young boy should live. He picked up the baby and took him home, where he and his wife brought the child up as if he was their own child. He was named Paris. He grew up to be a fine, strong young man. Priam and Hecuba had, as we know, loads of children. We will meet many of them as we tell the story of the terrible war. One of their daughters, though, we need to introduce now. This daughter was called Cassandra. She had red hair and blue eyes and was very beautiful. In fact, she was known as the second most beautiful woman in the world. She was also kind, gentle, intelligent and friendly. She had been born with the gift of foresight, she could see into the future. Obviously she was very popular with the men of Troy, and not only the men. The Olympians also took an interest in the lovely Cassandra. One Olympian, in particular, took a great liking to her. Apollo visited the young woman and asked if she would like to be his girlfriend. Cassandra said yes, but it seems later changed her mind. Apollo, as we know, was not one to let people off if they annoyed him, and he was very annoyed with Cassandra. His punishment was terrible. Not only did he drive Cassandra a little mad, he cursed her. She could still see into the future, but from that day on, the curse meant that nobody ever believed her predictions. Poor Cassandra foretold the fall of Troy, and nobody took her seriously. So, back to Paris and Troy a little later. What about Helen? When we left her, she was being held in Attica and being looked after by Theseus's mother. Helen was imprisoned in Attica for many years and soon grew up to be the most beautiful woman the world had ever known. She had, as we know, two brothers, the great heroes Castor and Pollux, and it was they who decided that Helen needed rescuing. The twins raised a large army and laid siege to the city where Helen was being held. They were great heroes and they had absolutely no problem at all taking the city and raising it to the ground. They then marched to Athens to challenge Theseus. They didn't find him, of course, because he was, at that time, glued to a sofa in the underworld. Still, people greeted them with open arms and he, then they put the rightful king back on the throne. Helen was taken to Sparta, where her stepfather, King Tyndarius, and her sister, Clytemnestra, welcomed her with tears of joy. Castor and Polydeuces were the heroes of Sparta. They had rescued their sister. Everyone loved them. Everyone, that is, apart from their cousins, Lynceus and Idas. Castor and Polydeuces, when they returned from rescuing Helen, married two sisters, called Phoebe and Hilaria. Unfortunately, these two girls had been engaged to Lynceus and Idas. Lynceus and Idas, to put it mildly, were quite unhappy about these marriages. Both sides raised armies. The two armies met and were about to do battle. Lincius, however, stepped forward and suggested a truce. "'Let's not shed blood unnecessarily,' he said. "'We both want these girls. Let's decide the matter by single combat. "'I will fight Castor. Whoever wins, he and his brother will keep both girls.'" Castor agreed and the two men began to fight. Everyone gathered round to watch. Their spears quivered and the crests on their helmets rustled in the wind. "'Slowly they circled each other, each waiting for the other to strike. "'Both men wielded their spears and swords skilfully, "'but neither could get past the other's shield. "'Nobody could tell who was going to win, "'until Lincius swung at Castor's left knee. "'The heroic twin was too quick, and he jumped back, swinging his sword. "'He hit Lyncius on the right hand and cut off his fingers. "'Lincius ran away towards the tomb of his father, but Castor was too quick.' Just as they reached the tomb, he hacked at Lincius, who fell dead to the ground. Castor had won, but he didn't have very long to enjoy it. He turned round to celebrate his victory, and as he turned round, a figure rose from behind the tomb. Idas had been hiding there while the fight was going on. Up he jumped, holding a huge stone. With all the strength he had, he smashed the stone down on Castor's head. The heroic twin, facing the other way, didn't see it coming. He fell, dying to the ground. Zeus was watching from Olympus and was furious at this treachery. He struck Idas down with a thunderbolt, killing him instantly. Polydukes ran over to his brother and held his head in his arms. Castor lifted his head up with the last bit of strength he had. Polydukes looked into his brother's eyes and knew there was no hope. He cried out in grief as he watched Castor die and then turned his head to the sky. Father Zeus, he pleaded, release me from this sorrow. King of life and death, please let me die too. I do not want to live without my beloved brother. The voice of Zeus blasted from a thundercloud. My son, he boomed, I was going to give you a seat here in Olympus to guide men at sea. You would have sat between Athena and Ares at the table of the gods. Would you really prefer the shadowy realm of Hades? If Castor can't share my seat at the table, then I don't want it replied Polydeuces. As you love your brother so much that you would share his death, I will give you both seats at the table, said Zeus quietly. Hades cannot be deprived of his soul, though. You will forever spend one day in the underworld and the next day on Olympus. So, Castor and Polyduches both became immortal and spent half their time in the heavens and the other half in the realm of the shades. Zeus commemorated the twins in the skies, creating the constellation Gemini. Tyndarius was very sad to lose his two stepsons, but he was even more worried about his stepdaughter. Helen was now, quite definitely, the most beautiful woman the world had ever seen. Tyndarius knew that every man in Greece would want to marry her. He was determined that she would marry someone worthy of her, but he wasn't quite sure how to make this happen. From all over Greece came men wanting to marry Helen. The greatest heroes of the land pursued the lovely girl. There was Menestheus, king of Athens. There was Pedarches, king of Thessaly. There was Agamemnon, king of Mycenae, and his brother Menelaus. There was Ajax, son of Telamon, and Thoas of Aetolia. There was the very clever king of Ithaca, and there was Idomenus from Crete. All came bearing gifts for Helen and Tyndarius. Poor Tyndarius did not know what to do. He was frightened to choose one of the kings in case he upset the others and caused a war. He knew he'd have no chance in a war against any of them. It was then that the king of Ithaca, the cleverest of the heroes, probably the cleverest man in Greek mythology, first showed just how cunning and how clever he really was. Mr Clever suggested that Tyndarius make all of the kings swear an oath. They must swear that whoever was chosen must abide by the decision and promise to come to the aid of the winner if he ever needed it. Tyndarius thought it was a thoroughly splendid idea and agreed immediately. All of the kings willingly swore the oath. Tyndarius decided the winner would be the one who gave him the best presents. He accepted wonderful gifts from many of the kings, but it was clear who had given the finest. Menelaus was chosen to be Helen's husband. He was probably helped by his brother Agamemnon, and he married Helen's sister Clytemnestra. Mr Clever also did well. He was allowed to marry a niece of Tyndarius called Penelope. And who was this cleverest of all the heroes? His name was Odysseus, and as we will hear the tale of the Trojan War, we will see time and time again just how clever he really was. So, Helen married Menelaus, who became heir to the kingdom of Sparta. Soon King Tyndarius gave up the throne, and Menelaus and Helen became king and queen of Sparta, and they all lived happily ever after. No, not really. This Trojan War wouldn't be nine chapters worth of story if they had. Well, now we have Helen of Sparta, married to Menelaus, and we have Paris, son of the king of Troy, living as a shepherd on Mount Ida. It is the meeting of these two people that will cause the terrible Trojan War. But how is it possible that they will meet? How will a queen of Sparta and a shepherd possibly come together to unleash the fighting? Surely it will take something quite unlikely to make all this happen. And yes, it will. But what is it that caused Helen and Paris to meet? Well, it all happened because of a wedding. As we heard in chapter 3, Poseidon had been quite keen on a Nereid called Thetis. He had been put off, though, because he heard a prophecy that Thetis would have a son who would be greater than his father. As it happens, Zeus was also keen on Thetis, and he hadn't heard about the prophecy, so he decided that she should be his girlfriend. The king of the gods, though, had a lucky escape. The wise titan Prometheus told Zeus of the prophecy. Zeus had recently allowed Prometheus to be rescued by Heracles and he believed the titan when he told him about the son of Thetis. He agreed with his his brother Poseidon that Thetis should immediately be married to a mortal. As we have already heard, the lucky man was the Argonaut Peleus. He was strong and heroic and, it was agreed, would make a great husband for the immortal Thetis. Zeus decreed that their son would be the last of the heroes and would fight in the Trojan War. A great and wonderful wedding was planned. It was to take place on Mount Pelion. Thousands of men and women were invited and so were all of the immortals. It was to be a day of great splendour and celebration. Nectar and Ambrosia were brought from Olympus in golden jugs and dishes and set upon silver tables. Hephaestus decorated the cave where the party was to be held with beautiful fire, which was harmless and cold to the touch. The wedding was as fantastic as it had been planned to be. The muses sang and the nymphs danced. Men and immortals partied together and everyone was happy. Everyone had the most wonderful time. The immortals gave the couple amazing gifts. Chiron gave them a spear, made by himself, polished by Athena, And with a sharp point made by Hephaestus, Poseidon gave them two wonderful horses. The bride and groom were happier than any bride and groom had ever been before. There was just one person who was not happy. She hadn't been invited to the wedding because nobody liked her. She sat, alone and unhappy, and planned revenge. Before long, an idea came to her, and she smiled an evil smile. She stood up and made her way over to the party, carrying something. She walked into the wedding celebration and threw the item into the middle of the partying immortals. As she threw it, she smiled and walked away. Eris, the goddess of strife and discord, had just set in motion the events which would lead to the war. The throw was a good one and there was a loud clang as something hit the ground. On the floor of the cave, in the midst of the party, was a golden apple. It was no ordinary golden apple. Unknown to all, it was the apple of discord. Inscribed on the apple were the words, For the fairest. The apple of discord did its work. Three of the immortal Olympians strode forward to claim it. It's mine, declared Hera. I am the queen of Olympus, and it is mine by right. I claim it, said Athena. I am the eldest daughter of Zeus and the immortal lady of wisdom. I am the fairest, and it is mine. You are both wrong, purred Aphrodite. It is mine. I am the goddess of beauty and love. I am, of course, the fairest of all. Zeus told the three of them to stop bickering and enjoy the wedding. For now, they put their differences aside and carried on the party. The apple of discord, though, was not going to give up quietly. In the next chapter, we will see what the king of the gods does to decide who gets it, We will see how poor Cassandra predicts the truth but is not believed, and we will find out why Helen of Sparta is called the face that launched a thousand ships. Until then, have a great week, and I'll speak to you next time.